Today's storyteller is Timothy Trudeau. He's a husband, father, CEO of Syntax Creative, and former musician. Timothy is a man of many talents and accomplishments. He's a Grammy-nominated producer. He's able to predict music trends. He's a well-rounded leader and a good friend. Just a little note, please bear with us as we are now recording interviews online. Volume and vocals may be off here and there. We apologize in advance and ask for grace. I remember when I first met you and your dad, it was at Rescue Records, 97, 1997. And um, I always just thought it was really cool just seeing your heart and um, you and your dad working together. And um, you guys had sackcloth fashion was that what it was yeah yeah yeah. and that was the record label um syntax records was the label and then sackcloth fashion was a group that my brother myself and my two brother-in-laws they're my brother-in-laws now they weren't back then um were we had together and it was basically um hip-hop but a live band and this is you know all white guys it was before i guess when we first started, it was before like some of the other people that have been successful in that regard had been successful. So <laughs> it, I think it was one of those things again, where we were just too, we started it too early um, because later on, like we were mixing hip hop and pop and folk and all this stuff. And, um, and then, you know, like a whole 10 or 15 years later, then Black Eyed Peas started doing that and then was very successful with it. Um, so we just, we just, you, you know, it's, it's that same thing. It's like that in business too. Like if you, like the first person into a scene is not necessarily the one that does well with it. It's usually the third, fourth or fifth. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's just the way it works in business or, or in anything. But yeah, um, you, I'm trying to remember cause we had been going to rescue for a while um, back when Ruben was there. And so just Ruben and Noah, and then, and then you came in, but were you, did you come in when Dennis took over? Um, before that. Right before or? Yeah. Ruben and Noah had hired me. Got it. Yeah. Okay. So, um, and cause then Loli was also the secretary there for a little while too, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so so you guys were the the big wigs, and we were just driving all the way from East County, just trying to get on, trying to make it happen, and uh, and so yeah, Rescue was the first shot at that for sure, um, first shot at getting a product out there and in the stores, and and that was a lot of a lot of fun, and appreciate all those years and all those people. And, uh, so um, it's funny because the way you started this, the way you entered this was you brought up my dad. And um, so the the tricky part about that is that, um, so my dad didn't go to church just to 
just to, I don't want to be a super downer, so I won't get too, too hard into any of that. But my dad did not go to church. My mom was a believer. And, um, so we had that, that like interesting house where you have one parent's a Christian and one parent's not. And you, you, you know, like that book, rich dad, poor dad, for example. And so you get two different styles of economics. So I had two different styles of of um, two different worldviews, I guess, um, in action right in front of my face. So my grandpa was a believer, my mom's dad, and he was a deacon. He was an elder at Trinity Baptist in Spring Valley. And so he'd come pick us up. He was the guy that drove the bus and he was the elder. And he was like a leader at Awanas. Like my grandpa was working like probably, you know, 80 hours a week down at Aurora and Chula Vista building airplanes. And then he was serving at his church the rest of the time. Wow. And so he picked me up. Um, he picked me up on Saturdays and he'd take me to Trinity Baptist to mow the lawn, clean the bathrooms, um, do stuff like that. And then again, Wednesdays do Juana and then Sundays go to church. So between my mom and my grandpa, there was always someone pulling me to some kind of a church thing or church event. Um, but I would hardly say I grew up Christian just because um, I grew up I grew up with uh, more of like a pot of gumbo and, and mm-hmm. church and Christ was in that pot of gumbo as well. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, we had a pretty worldly household. And, um, and so my brother and I were both Christians. And um, like through our whole teen years, the whole thing, we both worked at a Christian camp. Like it was decisive on our part. And I think part of that was we saw what it looked like for people who had no anchor. Mm. Um, and we saw like, uh, like, okay, so our options are this or that. And so we, we thought, you know what, I'd rather, um, like it was, to be honest, um, Christianity was actually very intellectual for me. It, it like, it was, it systematized everything. Like everything could make sense. There was answers for everything. And where there wasn't an answer, there was enough information um, that it still all held together. And so there, the other worldviews that were out there weren't doing that. And so I almost want to say that it was coming to Christianity was first an intellectual experience and then the spiritual caught up after that. Um, but anyways, uh, syntax records, secular fashion, all of this, like looking back now, all of this came about because um, I believe, I don't know if my brother or other people in the group feel the same, but I believe that um, I didn't know how to use my spiritual gifts at the church that I attended. Mm. So I believe that um, I, where I should have been applying myself, volunteering, getting involved at my own local church, I instead found another way to do that elsewhere. And to me, that that's the birth of all that. So on the one hand, it's kind of a negative, but on the other hand, God is so good at taking negative things and making them into positive, um, which I believe is the whole point of Romans 8, 28, um, as well as um, Joseph in the Old Testament, that that version of what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Yeah. And so I think that, that, you know, if I would have been, a little more theologically savvy or aware back then I would have known that I should have been doing that, but I didn't. So in the end it worked out as a good thing as, as well. And we, um, we, you know, just like rescue records, we got the letters in from people that their lives were changed and all that. So that was a really sweet era of life um, to look back on and think about those things. But 
but yeah, we, it it's interesting because my brother and I were very decisive about. Um, we both loved music. We both were listening to um, what people Christians would call secular music. Um, uh, that's another debate for another time. Yeah. I don't actually believe in a sacred and a secular, but but for the sake of just conversation, we were growing up and we were listening to secular music, but we were Christians. And then we also were aware of and would listen to Christian music and probably the same story as Rescue and Beauty. But like, we were like, this ain't it. <laughs> like this, like this stuff is whack. And so I think a lot that, of people felt that way. <laughs> yeah. The nineties was everyone had the same story. Like we all grew up knowing that you're not going to go to hell if you listen to Michael Jackson. Um, and he's super fresh. Why can't we be fresh? Like, like what's, what's the issue here? Um, Again, it doesn't mean that that actual themes or words can't be profane, of course, but just like a good song about dancing is not. Uh, anyways, um, so so we so we we were, but but we were like very intentional. Like we would go to the Bible bookstore. The one in La Mesa was called Foothills, mm-hmm. and uh, we would go there as much as we could, we would try to get a ride there and we'd go to the music section. We'd devour it. We'd see what's new. We talk to the music buyer and say anything new come out. We'd listen to it. And we were so dedicated to the idea of, of um, music being the, the vessel to preach the gospel, to proclaim the gospel um, that in our like teenage minds, we thought, you know, if we just buy everything that's being put out right now, with whether it's good or not, maybe the support of it will help grow it and get it better. So it started by us buying every single title that came out from every artist, every label, even when we thought it was just terrible. Um, so that was our beginning. So we thought, oh, we're going to give money to these people. Um, it, that was very naive, obviously, now looking back. But we didn't know how else to do it. And then we'd write letters to those labels and yada, yada. We're just trying to like say, Hey, you know, what can we do to help? And so eventually that turned into us. We were already making music, but that just ended up in us saying, maybe it's time for us to throw our hat to the ring. And, and uh, you know, like we keep trying to convince everyone else to come along on this journey, but maybe we just need to do it. And, and maybe we don't need to worry about whether other people um, catch it or not in our own church, in our own network, whatever. Mm-hmm. And so um, that was that was what we did. We just we just started going for it. And um, my brother would spend all his money and I'd spend all my money um, for whatever job we had. And we would just buy gear and we would just keep going. We figured it out. We didn't have time or energy or even really the money to go to school, but we just would just try to kill it. Like we just get some gear and just keep working it till you figure it out. And then um, I would spend time in studios um, around town. Uh, I don't know if you know uh, St. Stephen's, that church off of, um, gosh, it's, it's Lemon Grove Avenue turns into, and I forget what it turns into, but St. Stephen's is down there and there's the pastor is, Bishop McKinney and then his sons are the McKinney brothers. So Glenn McKinney, Greg McKinney and Glenn McKinney had this amazing studio at his house where they produced for Jody Watley, Brandy, all these people right at Spring Valley. And so I started hanging out with those guys and going to their studio and Greg, he's the worship pastor at at St. Stephen's. Dude, that guy took me under his wing. I'm like a teenager. He's in his thirties and 
he'd let me hang out and I just sit there and listen and watch and I'd ask questions if it made sense and I wasn't getting in the way and he was patient and he was kind and uh, I learned everything I learned how to build and, re- and be a complete studio engineer just by that guy um, letting me hang out and so I owe a lot to that guy um, and uh, and so yeah just just did whatever it took and put in all the energy I could to that and um, so yeah we we kind of thought like and I think you have to be like this a little bit I, it's just like being an entrepreneur I think all entrepreneurs are delus- delusional to a degree if they're not they probably won't get very far yeah. um, like you have to believe your own hype if you don't then what's no one else is going to yeah. um, so so like to our shame we were like probably similar to rescue and everyone else we thought we're the only ones that get this and god needs us to do this because <laughs> if we don't do it no one will and so that's yeah. sort of the flavor of of in 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 having that flavor is what caused us to work as hard as we did now again looking back now i realize god didn't need us he didn't need rescue he didn't need anyone else he'll use us and he'll allow us to be a part of his plan um when we're you know when we're actually in his word and seeking it his way that's great but um but he still none of it was a waste there are no wastes mm-hmm. in uh, in his in his economy and in his kingdom and so we were able to um all of that time i'm benefiting from to this day so yeah it was it was so much fun and i miss all of it and i would love to just go back and do all that stuff all over again and and i i wish i could go back and do it with uh the perspective i have now but of course i probably wouldn't it wouldn't be the same yeah absolutely was it was some good times the 90s uh with christian music is was so cutting edge and so many cool things happen um in the punk scene yeah. rock scene rap electronic djs like all that stuff that was uh you know counterculture and all that at the time um and now a lot of those people um i mean w- when you listen to some of the even the worship now and you kind of hear like like it's 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 the mainstream now but even some of it has things about it like whether it's electronic or rock where you're just like man like these people have got a lot of grief 10, 15 years ago. They don't even know. They don't even know. Like, and they should be saying, thank you, POD. Thank you. Thank you for sleep. But, thank you, you for know. those that, that first those doors open for Yeah, us. yeah, yeah. No, and they were lucky enough to have success um, while, you know, I mean, it wasn't overnight or any of that, of course, but they were lucky enough to reach a level of success in that, um, whereas a lot of us, slept on floors and did that whole thing um, and never re- reached that kind of success even with it. So there was never a moment where you were like, ah, oh, we arrived. It was just more like work really, 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 really hard for a really long time. And then, um, and then going, well, uh, we have kids now. So I guess uh, what, what else can we do? <laughs> so, so yeah, it's just, it's, it's interesting. Um, but all of it was necessary because now even when I look at it, well, obviously we were more Christian hip hop. So when I look at just how far Christian hip hop has come, um, it's so comfortable now. Like you can actually make a living doing Christian hip hop. And so what that has caused is a lot of people do it that aren't that, they don't have the work ethic and they're not, it's, it's just, 
it's like, oh, cool. Oh, so if I do A, B, and C, I can at least, you know, get in this much money. And, and so it's like a career now. So it, it's, and there's nothing wrong with that. You can have a career that's fine. But the reality is, is when it's not like, listen, if you want to do this, you're going to be fighting everyone all the time and you're going to be sleeping on cement floors. Are you cool with that? If you're cool with that, let's go. Yeah. And then if you're not cool with that. And so I felt like that alone filtered out a lot of the nonsense back then. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's all just, have. yeah. Yeah. It's just, it, it's, you know, and, and the same goes for like, I just went over all that stuff about the studio and the fact that studios used to be at a minimum 50 bucks an hour that filtered out a lot of the people that should had no business being in a studio. Um, whereas now if you spend 300 bucks or whatever and buy a M box and you record at home, like on the one hand, that's great. Cause there might be an amazing rapper that can't afford a studio. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, there's a ton of people making <laughs> albums now that have no business making albums. Yeah. Um, so, so it's like, it's like, (laughs) yeah, yeah. It's not win-win. No, it's (laughs) (laughs) win-lose. Yeah. Around the time that iTunes launched, I did a deal with Apple directly as a record label. So that was 2002, three or four. I don't remember the exact year. Somewhere around there, I did a deal with Apple and um, Apple three weeks later sent me a electronic deposit and then an Excel file with the royalties and you were at rescue. So I assume, you know, that during that era, if you wanted to get paid for your CD sales, you had to call your distributor on the phone and you had to beg them to release some of the money because they would, they would have the money, but they would just hang on to it and they didn't send it to anyone unless they called for it. There wasn't like a system in place. Like here's your monthly statement and here's a check. It was, calling in going, could we please have some money? We, we have nothing right now. We have a few albums. We have to make a music video. Can we please have some of our money? And they'd say, um, well, we owe you a hundred grand. Uh, we'll send you 20. And you'd be like, <laughs> okay, just send us the 20. We'll make the music video. We'll do the, you know, and that's just how that worked. That's how that whole system went, went down. So when I got a deposit from Apple, and a file that told me, because the other thing about distribution was you'd get the check, but you had no idea what it was for. Yeah. So, you you know, some of that money was for one artist, some of it was for another. You, you just had no idea. Yeah. So it, it was sort of like we were all in perpetual debt. The artists were in debt with us. We were in debt with the distributor. And it was just this nasty system where the only one making money was the distributor and the, the Bible bookstore was making money as well. Um, off of all of the labor that all of these artists were doing. So, so when Apple sent a money without me asking, I went, well, wait a second, what, what's this, what's this foreign concept? And so, <laughs> what's the um, I, yeah, yeah. And, and so I, I went around to the other labels um, that we were friends with rescue for example. Um, and just said, Hey, listen, um, I know you guys are all working with Diamante or, or Provident or whoever you're working with. Um, but just if you guys want your stuff to be on the internet available for download or whatever, you can run it through us. We'll take a percentage and then we'll give you the rest if you're interested, because at that time it was nothing. It was no big deal. It was just like side stuff. It was. And so a lot of those labels were like, sure, whatever. Um, and some of them had gone through a bankruptcy 
with their distributor just like we had. And so they had nothing to lose. So they just sent us a box of CDs. And so we uploaded them and then we started getting money in and then we started sending it to them. So again, at the time it wasn't like, I'm going to build a digital distribution company. It was more like, Hey, we're all in this together. We're all trying to figure out how to feed ourselves. So, uh, I guess we'll try this. And so in doing that, and for the next five years or so of that, it became clear that that was the main deal. Like that was my main gig. And it was, it felt like um, a service. I mean, I, I don't want to go as far as to say a ministry in the sense of the way Christians understand that word. But yeah. I do think that our work is our ministry. But that's, again, as far as the way Christians use that term, um, I felt like, wow, look at, I'm offering a service to these people because I'm actually sending them money every month so that they can continue to be on the road and they can continue to proclaim the gospel at this church, this bar, wherever they're at, whatever's going on, this state fair. Um, like, this is fantastic. Like, I'm actually doing something for them. And so, um, you, you know, I really enjoy being creative. And so being in the studio is, is one way to do that. But I also found... Um, that you can be extremely creative in business. And so I just really started to enjoy that side of it all. Um, and, and that's really what it all turned into is, is um, to be on the business side. So we have like 130 record labels and like wow. 70,000 songs that we distribute now. Wow. And um, so, so we're, we're actually the largest Christian distributor because um, these other ones aren't actually Christian companies anyways. They're, you know, one's Sony, one's Universal. And um, Warner is, I think they're maybe even all the way out now. I don't know. But but yeah, like all those companies were actually just owned by the majors anyway. So we're the largest Christian distributor of um, Christian music digitally. So that doesn't mean anything. I'm just saying it's, it's funny because we were just kids making rap records. I mentioned to you earlier that I'm going to be interviewing Ken Mansfield sometime. And I saw with him. The one, the first time I saw with him, I asked him, it was during another interview, I asked him, um, what would you say to those artists who are trying to get into the music industry? And initially he was like, no, no, like don't do it, mm -hmm. you know? But then he goes, but then who am I to say no to them? Because they could be the one that yeah. does not break through. He goes, but the only thing I would strongly suggest is that they have a really strong team to keep them accountable and make sure, sure. that they don't just get lost in that whole Hollywood glamour sure. and then the darkness that goes behind that. So do you yeah. agree with that or what are your thoughts of like yeah. anybody who's trying to break into that? Yeah. So I, not only do I agree with it, I would take it a step further and I would say that, um, so my assumption is, uh, that you are a Christian, I am a Christian. So I'm going to assume that hopefully people listening are, if they're not, I'm speaking to Christians right now, but for the Christian that wants to get into the music business, um, I, I get the sentiment of no, but um, I would say to go even further than just having a team, I would say you need to be plugged into your local church and your local church needs to be putting you to work there. If you're not willing to sing at church, then you probably shouldn't be on stage somewhere else. And again, I in the very beginning, I shared that I felt like my gifts weren't being used at my own church. Partially that's on me and partially it was on the church because that church didn't, didn't even think that way. Like it was just a small church 
maybe a hundred people that would meet in the multi-purpose room of a school. So, I mean, other than stacking chairs and someone picking up the donuts, there wasn't really a lot of opportunity at that church to use your gifts. Um, but I would say, um, be plugged in and be uh, submit yourself to the leadership of that church because um, God has a very special design for community, which includes there being people that are in charge of us. And the moment that you get out there and you get just the smallest, smallest, smallest bit of fame, uh, you know, that's when you start thinking you don't answer to anyone. And if you're already plugged into a church and you've already submitted to some elders and there's a pastor in your life that calls you and checks in on you, um, then you're way more prone to be, uh, to just be able to, to navigate this um, for a longer time. And, and as an example, and again, I learned this the hard way, but like we would record a record with a very talented individual and then I would put them on the road. And so they were no longer home on Sundays anymore. They were out and about. And, and so, yeah, maybe they would go to a church event. Like maybe they'd go to a Sunday and perform somewhere or a Sunday night youth service or something. But in general, they, even if they went to a church, they were able to kind of um, hide and not really be a part of a community. And so that's everything. It's, it's being willing to be, um, it's just like how family keeps you grounded, right? Like, like I remember uh, Tony telling me at like the height, at the height of his fame, um, and he was, because he used to come hang out at our studio in our office all the time because he lived right down the street. And and I remember him coming in and saying, there's nothing more humbling than going and performing for 30,000 people and then coming home and your wife won't even make you toast. <laughs> and I was just like, he's like, I got to make my own toast. And um, again, and I'm like, yeah, okay. Again, crazy example, but, but it's like, that's real. Like yeah. if you submit, and, and, and here's the thing, you know, maybe, maybe um, some people won't submit in those scenarios. Uh, and, and I can think of people, I can think of artists from our own roster who, who basically once, once they were out and about and weren't attending Sunday anymore, then they felt like, who is this pastor to come tell me what to do? Mm. Um, and so I would figure out how to be home at least three Sundays out of the month. Mm. Um, I think, you know, yeah, once in a while you're traveling far enough away for a big event, but, but just try to try to put all that energy. And if you can't figure out how to do, if you can't figure out how to do it in a way where, um, where you can both attend church and do this ministry, yeah. don't do it. Yeah. Don't do it. But yeah. So the team, yes. Manager. Yes. Booking agent. That's all good. Yes. Producer. Yes. Publicist. Great. Thanks. Those are all tools. Yeah. But I think your team needs to be your small group Bible study. You, mm -hmm. And and so for us in the very end, um, I put us under, I put syntax records actually under the authority of um, one of the associate pastors at the church. I had been going to my entire life. And so I met with him every Thursday and I would say, here's the scenario. Um, this, this particular, um, let's say secular club has offered this. Um, if we do this, we do know that in this environment that, that the, here's what we do know that's negative. Here's what we do know that's positive. What do you think? And so I started involving a pastor in music business decisions 
And um, I think that a lot of people in the music business will be like, why the heck would you do that? He doesn't know anything about that. But most of the things are, it's not unique to the music business. They're just principles that could be applied in any business. And so having that sounding board. And and so it was never, you know, like we worked with secular artists um, quite a bit. And it was never, it was never always yes or always no. It was case by case. Yeah. Um, And to me, that was more wise than than creating uh, yeah yeah like we had people contemporaries at the time who made a position that it was always right on one side and then we had friends on the other side that said it was always wrong and i just felt like i don't think that's the way this works i think it's there are scenarios where it would be great um but yeah so put like i put us under the authority of the church um and so me as the head of the label meant that all of our artists, even though they didn't go to that church, were now under that authority as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it would be like, is it okay? Here's what we want to do. Here's a song idea. Um, here's the pros and cons. What do you think? Again, this is not a songwriter, but this is someone who is a, a professor of the Bible, essentially, like, like actually taught the Bible uh, as a teacher professionally for years before joining as a pastor. And I'm good with that. Like, I'm good with that. If, if there's nuances that are unique about the music business and he has questions, I can give him that. Yeah. I can give him the lowdown on this or that, and then he can extrapolate that however he needs to. But, but yeah, I would, I would not go out in, in there without being tied, be tethered to a church, a Bible-based expository preaching church. It doesn't have to be the, 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 the popular church of, of where you're living. It could just be any old church. And man, that is the best thing that we ever did. And, and anyone that we were able to get to agree with that and do that are people that are still doing this, that are their heads on straight. That's awesome. So um, what's your, I guess, final word, what would you, um, what's your words of encouragement to those who are still searching um, see if you know if Christ is really the direction the answer for them sure so so like I was saying in the beginning um well okay so there's different styles um in fact jazz you brought up unity clan jazz from unity clan told me uh when we were in the studio one time that she got saved because someone was screaming on the side of the street, like repent or go to hell type stuff. Mm -hmm. Right. And so me growing, first of all, just my style, like my personality and how I, how I operate, like that's repulsive to me. (laughs) Um, Like the thought of someone screaming at someone on the side of the street is repulsive to me, but that's just, okay. But then I meet her and she's telling me, well, actually there's two people that that's how, that I know that that's how they got saved. Um, and so I just think, well, okay, so maybe it has nothing to do with me or my style or my preference. Maybe it has everything to do with God has made everyone um, uniquely different. And so I can only talk about how it worked for me, but I did, um, because I didn't grow up in a Christian home, but I had flavors of it, it caused me to really study it and to really try to figure out, first of all, 
okay, it's the year 2020. What is that? Why is it the year 2020? Why isn't it the year 10,000 or the year 1,000? Like, why are we counting? Okay, so 2020, so, so 2,000 years ago, give or take, there was someone that was born. Okay, who was that person? Are they real? Were they really born? Were they really counted in the census 2,000 years ago? Who were they? What were their claims? Why do people still talk about that person more than any other person? Like it really was an intellectual exercise for me to go over it that way. And then once all the pieces lined up for me in a way that was nice and tidy, and not everyone gets to do that or has the time um, or the patience. But uh, after all those tiles were laid down in my head, nice and tidy, I was like, this makes the most sense. This like Christianity is the most reasonable uh, worldview. And so um, that's how it went for me. But then I meet jazz and she says someone was screaming at her and she's never looked back. And I think, you know what, <laughs> who knows, <laughs> who knows? And she's solid. Like every time I see her, I think I saw her a couple of years ago in Santee at this, uh, at this event and she's still going strong. And I was just like, yeah, yeah, she didn't need to, like, maybe I was wasting time because she didn't need any of that. Uh, so, so yeah, it's, it's the most reasonable. Um, the, the whole, like, every other worldview has no ability to produce an answer on why, like, what is right, what is wrong, if there even is a right and wrong. Like, none of the other worldviews have the ability to, to even explain any of that stuff. And so, again, if you think back to, like, the great philosophers and the things that they were thinking about um, Plato, Socrates and all the stuff they were talking about all the way back then, like all those questions, who are we? Why are we here? Mm-hmm. Um, nothing could answer that in a satisfactory way to me other than the Christian worldview. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like, um, it's almost boring. It's almost like, uh, this is the only answer that has it all figured out and makes sense. And where there's question marks, it's, it's in a safe spot. Yeah. Like those question marks are, it's, it's like, we're like God revealed enough of a topic to where the, the question mark isn't a danger zone. It's not like, you know, like, it's not like um, God has all these principles about how to be with money but it, it, the Bible doesn't tell us, should we buy a Ford or Chevy? Hmm. So, so people might freak out about that you can't do that in a specific manner. But it's like, I have all that I need to decide whether I should get the Ford or the Chevy just in Scripture alone. Like, I can actually determine that because I can learn that it's first and foremost a stewardship. I can learn about my own, my own basic needs. Um, what makes sense financially? What makes sense? How many people are in my family? I can count that. How many seats? Like I can make that decision um, very practically because of what I learned through scripture. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people will be like, no, you, Bible doesn't say how many cup holders you need. No, but it taught me that there was a God that designed everything, including math. So the fact that I can count like the fact that I can count on to six and that that six doesn't change. That's, that's a, that's a law. Like that's an invisible law, like triangles. Where do triangles come from? There's none in nature, but you can build a bridge with triangles. So the fact that the laws of a triangle doesn't change tomorrow is because there is a God who designed gravity, all these principles that are at play. So to me, 
Christianity makes the most sense and it has all the answers for all those things I was just saying. And um, I don't know. I feel bad for the people who, who don't, um, don't know that or don't have those answers. Um, so hopefully someone will be screaming at them soon from a curb near them. <laughs> yeah. And then if that happens, I would love to hear. <laughs> I would love to yeah. hear that gave their life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, times I know, at least now when I see those people, I'll have jazz in mind of like, okay, <laughs> they touch jazz. <laughs> they could. Touch yeah. Them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And again, she's a, she's a legitimate believer. Yeah. Um, from all all standards that I can tell, and um, and I just think again, I have another guy I know who got saved at like a completely off church, like a church that that actually preaches a false gospel that will send people straight to hell. Wow. Somehow he went there, he had this emotional moment, the whole thing, and and so he's now mature enough to where he knows that that church is a is. A, it's a heretical church and he's now like this is a guy in Houston and he um he actually oops I just gave away the church um okay but uh he he so this guy um but this guy has made an amazing ministry of he like he works with homeless he works with orphans like he's got this amazing he was a rapper like but now he's older he doesn't rap anymore and i just look at this guy and all that he's done in his life for the last 25 years or whatever and it's an amazing man of god and i think you know who am i to be like the guy that says what that church was heretical that's yeah. you can't get saved there and it's like someone got saved by someone yelling at them on the side of the road someone got saved at a heretical church and and uh God like Kanye, is, for example, like Kanye West. Yeah. Yeah. Know? It's kind of Absolutely. like that. It's like the whole thing was like, is he saved? Is this like a, just another show? What's, what's right. going on? My husband and I right. went to see his first show that was open to the public in LA. And I mean, I felt it, you know, I felt yeah, yeah. it. But then again, you know, you don't know, but you look at the, you look at the people who are going who have never listened to gospel music, you know, yeah. he's being used, you know, regardless of his true relationship with God, you know, like, yeah. like the guy you were sharing about how he went to a church, but he still had that experience, you know? So yeah. Kanye's a tough one because yeah. um, like, I, I would say, that when watching it was interesting because I saw two different reactions to it. I saw, um, I'm talking about the Christian hip hop community yeah. and one was, you know, one was jealousy because mm -hmm. it's like, I've been doing this for 20 years. Why does Kanye get to be, you know, <laughs> it's like, why does he get to be the world's biggest Christian rapper? Since I've been doing, I've been working hard. So that was one, ex one reaction. It was jealousy. And then I saw this other reaction of, of like people who scoffed at Christian hip hop for their entire life and said, you can't use that. But then all of a sudden it's Kanye and they're like, praise God, Kanye is amazing. And I'm just like, but but that's what all all like these big things that happen. All it does is it it produces um, all the it, it reveals all the inconsistencies yeah. that we all have. We all have them. We all have blind spots. Yeah. And so, if I actually was in the room with Kanye one time, um, and yeah, 
like so i will say that that um there was like five people in the room he's one of them and and i will say that i understand why people were were skeptical um he he himself has said he's bipolar and he himself has said you know well yeah he said that and then so it's like is it a, i have a lot of people in my family that are bipolar and so i'm very familiar with what a manic episode is and so i keep waiting for but but like since it continues and he keeps doing those same things i think praise god this is amazing like yeah absolutely but but you know yeah god didn't need kanye and he didn't need sackcloth and he didn't need any of it but if he'll use sackcloth in a tiny way and then kanye in a huge way praise god who cares yeah so definitely yeah definitely wow it's been great chatting with you all the yeah, way good Tennessee. i'm in san diego thank god for technology right now <laughs> yeah yeah. But, um, I truly thank you. Thank you for sharing um, just a bit about your life and especially um, like just your whole story in the music industry, you know. Um, but I just thank you for the time and, um, and I'll be praying for you. That was Timothy Trudeau, today's storyteller. Check out and follow his projects at Syntax Creative. Now a short message by Philip McIntosh. I'm Priscilla, host and creator of Storytellers. I pray you and your family keep safe and healthy. Until the next episode, God bless. What an awesome opportunity to hear this story on this episode. And we know that you have a story as well. We know that you have probably faced adversities. You've faced challenges. You've overcome things. And uh, we want to encourage you today that there is a story that is unlike any other story. In fact, we refer to it sometimes as, as history. But we like to say his story because it's God's story. And we want to encourage you today that there is a God, yes, a true and living God, who has created heaven and earth and has created you and I. And he has an amazing story that involves each and every one of us. And a big part of that story is his pursuit, his chase after us with his love, with his grace with his desire and hope that we would turn to him and allow him to work his story in and through us. We truly hope that you will learn of his story, and we truly hope that you will know today that God loves you and desires to use you and has a future and hope for you. If you want to know more about his story, reach out to us. We'd love to share it with you.